Brian Harson spoke to the media after defeating Mercer and told everyone TJ Finley's still the starter. I believe him. Well, Zach, I, I actually just finished crushing some chicken farm, and I am freaking ready to rock and roll. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackerby, and thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen every single day. Joining me as he does every Monday, Lindsey Crosby, writer at AuburnDaily.com, also host of Locked On MLB Prospects. It's great to finally have a Monday where we can recap a football game, and of course, that would be Auburn defeating Mercer in the season opener. And look, Lindsay, Daryl and I talked about this yesterday on the show. Conversation is still going to swirl around these quarterbacks due to TJ throwing two interceptions and Robbie Ashford looking pretty good. I think there's definitely some improvements that he could make, but odds, you know, I mean, all in all, his impact in the rushing game, um, it was as good as advertised. Yeah, and and Brian Harson talked after the game about how uh, this team is not a finished product yet. He said that, you know, it's not perfect. There's a lot of things you have to get better at. And in the first three weeks, you spend your time in improving and getting better. And you don't really settle into who you are until week four. And it almost feels like that quarterback battle is going to be the same way, that we're just going to to, to be having both guys play for probably next week and maybe even the week after until somebody separates themselves from the other. Yeah, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. And so yesterday... I, I came in a little hot saying like, hey, you know, Robbie Ashford, potential QB1 down the road, legitimate? And, and I do think it is legitimate. But after being able to watch the game again and rewatch several plays that uh, the TJ Finley was able to, you know, fulfill it and complete some pretty solid passes, I think his reads in some situations were really, really solid. His game was better than I thought it was. Now... That does not make up for the two picks. The two picks were very, very bad. Extremely bad. And some people, like, the third and 18 one, the first one, I don't understand why that play call was even called. I mean, you're up like 21 nothing at the time, I believe, and it's third and 18. It's, you're, your end zone's not that far behind you. Like, I don't really understand why that was the call. Um, now TJ needs to have the wherewithal and the awareness uh, of saying, okay, it's third and 18. We're probably going to punt this anyway. So like, just don't turn the football over. Like that's something that your starting quarterback needs to be aware of. The second one, Lindsay is the one where a lot of people are really hitting them on. And I get it. I'm not defending him here, but if he just puts a little bit more on that ball, you know, your receiver has a chance at it. And, I, I think at worst case, it's just uh, it's just an incompletion. And so both of these things are extremely easy to fix. And so I'm not really sold that this is something where we just need to like pin this against TJ and say, oh, he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed at all because that's untrue. TJ showed a lot of things Saturday that he would not have been able to do a year ago. That is correct. Uh the flip side of this, and I think Daryl made the point on Sunday's show, is that he made the same mistake twice. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, one of them, and I think Daryl actually said, like, it's not like one of them was tipped. Uh, you know, it, this was the exact same issue of staring down a receiver and right. making a bad decision on a throw 
twice in the same game and the thought process of he's improved at a lot of things but if he this is still a kind of fundamental mistake that even I as a casual fan know like you you can't just st- lock in and stare down on a receiver you know you have right. to scan the field and use your eyes to move defenders then at a certain point like I understand fans wanting to be done with TJ because of what they saw now like you said uh, there's a lot more to it and Harson's made this point numerous times there's a lot more to it than just what you see on the field on Saturday and throwing the football. I think that actually was a quote from his press conference. There's a lot more than just throwing the football like you guys see. Yeah. But the, what we did see, I mean, two glaring er- errors that were fundamentally unsound. Right. But there was a lot of things that he did do well on. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they ran some crossing patterns where they were able to find Shedrick Jackson once he cleared the formation. And I think that was drawn up really well. I think the first first down of the game where he rolled out and he found uh, VAR for like, uh, you know, like a 10-yard out on third and long. I mean, and and that was on the run. That was a design rollout to his right. And he just, to me, he moved better than he did a year ago. Mm -hmm. And and also, the throws that he had were pretty accurate. And, And there were even some catchable balls like, um, I know the, the popular one that people are talking about is John Samuel Shanker. Like, John Samuel probably should have caught that pass. Uh, and if that happens, the third and 18 pass attempt doesn't happen. And so, you know, the, you can kind of what if yourself to, to some extent there. But all in all, like, I, I think TJ has improved. And so I think we can put to bed the whole TJ hasn't gotten any better. He's the same old TJ. That is a very lazy take. Um, now, if you're out there and you just dislike TJ, like that's that's cool. I'm not going to tell you what to think. But the whole, like, he's the exact same quarterback as 365 days ago is objectively incorrect and false. Yeah, he did look more comfortable. Um, He did seem to have a better grasp of what he was doing. And, like, the big thing to me is when you watched him, he didn't look like he was frantic. No. A lot of times last year when he came in, he, I mean, he he looked not frantic or panicked in the pocket, especially when pressure started to come in and not necessarily knowing what to do. Like you said, he had the rollout. He looked more mobile. He looked more comfortable. Right. Other than those two interceptions, uh, he actually looked pretty good delivering the ball downfield, uh, you know, spreading the ball around. Now, I, th- I think you said it in yesterday's show, you can't take one without the other. You can't right. leave the INTs out. But Finley is a better player, uh, is improved. And the question to me, when you're trying to evaluate these two quarterbacks and figure out who's going to be the guy, is the whole promise of TJ Finley is the higher floor. Uh, ceiling may not be as high because he doesn't have the athletic ability rushing that Robbie does, but the sure. higher floor, if he continues to do things like throw those interceptions, can you really believe the floor is higher uh, than what Robbie Ashford gives you when you're trying to figure out who's going to be the starter? I think that's good perspective there. Uh, I think another way, another question to look at it, is what do you think is more fixable at this point in the year? Now that spring and fall are obviously behind you, the season is here. Is it easier to kind of coach and teach TJ to fix the whole, you know, you can't stare somebody down and throw into the double coverage? Even though you're confident when you get rid of the football, which is nice, he didn't lose his confidence. But what, um, you know, can, can you fix that? Is that easier than helping Robbie and just kind of helping him become a more accurate quarterback and kind of install the rest of the offense when he's in the game. 
And like, to me, I think the first one is easier. I think coaching TJ through some of these growing pains, I, I think that's the easier, easier route at this point of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to fundamentally change who a quarterback is during the season. Yeah, and you're right. Robbie Ashford, a lot of the reports that we had, you know, based on lack of experience and then accuracy and all of that, that it's it's more the changes to him are fundamental, whereas TJ's more of a, hey, don't forget, you have to use your eyes. Don't forget to look off a defender, things like that. Feels more fixable. Um, Going to be interesting. Glad I'm not Brian Harson having to figure this out tough. over the next couple of weeks. It's tough. I wonder if we'll see more of them on the field at the same time. I loved the play where Robbie lined up at wide receiver and then the motion was brought across the field. There's just so much you can do off of that. And look, they they installed that and decided to run that against Mercer for a reason. That wasn't just fan service. That was, hey, opposing defenses in the future. Hey, Penn State. Hey, Missouri. Hey, LSU. There's other things we can do off of this. We don't have to give it to Robbie. Robbie doesn't have to pitch it. You know, uh, there's different things that you can do. Robbie doesn't even have to go in motion at the start of it. You may kind of be expecting him to go in motion and maybe defending the opposite side, and Robbie doesn't even have to go in motion. You can do stuff off of that. So there's a lot of different things that you could do with that, there, and that has to be the reason why they chose to run that when they were up multiple scores against a team that they're significantly better than. Um, which that gets me excited. And that's kind of the Brian Harson that we thought he would be coming from Boise, the trick play guy. That That's kind of what we thought. And that's the first thing I saw when, when they ran that play. It's like, that's Brian Harson. That has Brian Harson, Boise State, written all over him. Yeah, and he actually joked in the press conference, like he should have done that for the very first play of the game just to mess with all of the media who was trying to figure out the quarterback situation. But yeah, no, like having it on film, Teams have to prepare for it. Like you said, there's a lot of things you can do off of it. And that's one of those things that it's hard to measure the impact of that in two weeks against Penn State or in four weeks or whatever it is. But little things like that help. And I feel like that's not something we've always had in the past. That's not something that we've gotten where it's, hey, let's make sure we get this on film and we show this so that either they over-prepare for it and we can abandon it or they don't prepare for it and we can catch them with it. I feel like that's something that's been missing from our from our offense over the last couple seasons, and so it's glad to see that. And like you said, we thought we were getting some of it. We want even more. The people want more of it. That's right. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, Parson said that. He's like, it's just fun. Pl- they're just fun plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun to watch for sure. And you know the players have to love that too. Oh, yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned you know opposing teams having to over-prepare for it. That play alone will make opposing defenses have to waste time in practice to make sure it's like, okay, if they run this, this is what we have to do. And then you have to speculate other things that they can do off of it. So I love it. I, I love all of that. But I just, at this point, Lindsey, I, I believe Harson. I think TJ starts against San Jose State on Saturday. I think he is the favorite to start against Penn State as well. But I do think the flow of the game that we saw in the first quarter, where it was TJ as a starter, Robbie would come in for a play or two in that cycle, I bet we do see that every game for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, and we've seen Harson successfully run that double quarterback system for a while. And and so I can see them doing that, like we said earlier, until somebody separates and and shows that they can run the offense in every facet without it. But he's got experience doing it, so he's going to keep doing it, and it seemed to work okay on Saturday against Mercer.
So my biggest uh, Auburn Tiger takeaway from all of this, it's not a quarterback. It's not Cam Riley. It's not Keontae Scott. I'll tell you who it is in just a moment right here on Locked on Auburn. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? The new flavor is delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. Yes, Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your favorite. Cookie dough chunk puffs have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they're covered 100% in real chocolate. You're going to absolutely love it. It's high in protein, low in calories, keeps you full. It's good for you. All you have to do is go to built.com and use promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your order. That is LOCKEDON15 for 15% off. That is at built.com. All right, Lindsay. There's a lot of talk about the quarterbacks. There's a lot of talk about some of the defensive standouts, and rightfully so. But the guy that stood out to me time and time and time again during the rewatch of this game was right tackle Austin Troxel. I thought he was incredible. I thought he had an outstanding game. And really, every run... For the, like, seriously, almost every run that popped, whether it was Jarquez Hunter back there or Tank Bigsby back there, his block sprung them. Whether it's him pinning a guy, whether it's somebody kicking a guy out, he was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah, he, he, ran, he run block 34 times, pass block 20 times. His offensive grade per PFF was 75.5. That was fourth highest on the team for offensive grades. His pass blocking grade was a 75.8, and his run blocking grade was a 77.6. With all the talk about all the offensive line questions, Austin Troxel was a big one for mine, and he exceeded. He absolutely exceeded my expectations Saturday night. I saw you mention him in your uh, Sunday morning gift thread that you always do, and I went back and watched uh, and kind of looked for him in the rewatch, and he was absolutely burying some dudes. Yeah, it, it, It's that... It's that kind of nasty streak that that you want your offensive lineman to have that I don't feel like we've really had that big, mauling, nasty offensive lineman in a while. And so really good to see somebody who wasn't big physically compared to who he was but but seemed to play bigger to me was Tate Johnson. Sure. Um, I was really surprised at, at how he held his own. There's been a lot of talk about, oh, he's only 285 pounds. He's... You know, which for an offensive lineman is small. I mean, for us, that's massive. But uh, he he held his own in there. He did a pretty good job at getting off a block and getting to the second level. So he'd fire off the ball, help double team with the left guard, and then he he'd go up and get a linebacker and kind of you know seal a hole or something yep. there. Uh, was really impressed with what he did. And the question that I kind of have now is: we saw this against Mercer. How well do we think this translates to? an SEC opponent or to a power five opponent, like a Penn state. Is this something where we think they'll be just, just as dominant against them? Or do we think they're good enough to, to let the offense perform as it needs to? I, I think they're, I think it's going to translate just fine. You know, a note about Tate Johnson, you mentioned him in the run blocking game, getting to that next level uh, pro football focus thought the same thing. His run blocking grade was a 74, which if you would have told me that going into the game, I, I, I wouldn't have believed you. But the surprising thing is his pass blocking grade is a 42.9. Not very good. And so it's almost like the opposite of Nick Brahms. Nick Brahms yeah. last year w- was pretty solid in pass protection, 
but as a run blocker, um, he left a lot out there to be desired. So um, we'll see. I, I wonder how much of that was communication. I wonder how much of that mm-hmm. is just he wasn't quite used to, you know, game reps or, or anything like that. I hope that gets better. It's going to have to get better. It's going to be a really big problem. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. I, I do think, though, with what we saw up front, I think for the most part it will translate to um, to other opponents. Obviously, you get a nice stepping stone game, right, with San Jose State, and then the real task starts when Penn State comes to Jordan-Hare Stadium in two weeks. But just looking at what Penn State did against Purdue uh, was Thursday night, I, I wasn't impressed with their defensive front. It's better than Mercer's, don't get me wrong, and no disrespect to Mercer. It's just these, these guys are, you know, it's a Big Ten school, not a SoCon school. It, it is what it is. But I, I don't think they're, like, great. I think they're fine. I don't think they're better than, like, you know, a Mississippi State defensive line that Auburn's going to have to deal with eventually. And so, yeah, I think, I think you know, as the schedule ramps up in difficulty over the course of the season, I think it really benefits guys like Tate Johnson. Part of me, and kind of going back for a second to the, to the PFF grade, part of me wonders how much of that grade was the snapping. Because when I went back, I remember thinking this during the game, and I looked for it in the rewatch. There's quite a few times, you know, multiple times, where Tate Johnson is, you know, doing a shotgun snap to Finley, and it's not exactly, you know, it's not perfect in the chest where you want it. Now, Finley being 6'7", it was hard to notice sometimes, but he's reaching out to his side or he's reaching up to grab one. Uh, it, it was within his his reach. Yeah. Part of me wonders if if you have a you know if if Robbie Alford's the the, the quarterback the entire game Ashford. is one of those a bad snap, you know for Ashford or is you know is it something where that's going to come back and bite us? Is that part of the reason he got downgraded a little bit? Pass blocking was just some of those snaps. I don't know, but something to to just I noticed something to watch for and something to think about. Sure. No question about it. Um, obviously, Tank Bixby was the highest-rated player on offense, 92.3, which is ridiculous. Javaris Johnson was second with a 91.8, which is very, very good. Then Robbie Ashford was third, which is fun. Tate Johnson was um, what we talked about where he ranked, which is exciting. Alec Jackson, small sample size, but he graded out really, really well, according to the analytics. Then the top wide receiver um, or I guess the second wide receiver was Shedrick Jackson, which I thought Shed had a pretty good game. So props to him. But we saw Shedrick Jackson a lot early last season, and then his usage kind of dropped. I think some of that had to do with the emergence of Demetrius Robertson and Kobe Hudson. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I mean, Shed looks quicker to me, but you got to wait till they do it at a, against, you know, Penn State or Missouri or LSU to really kind of zone in on that opinion. He's he's quicker. He's definitely bigger. Cedric Jackson has the Bo Jackson genes as far as working out and what he physically physically can look like. I did find it interesting the wide receiver usage just to real quick before we go to break. But um, a lot of guys in the game, more receivers touch the ball on rushes than actually caught a pass. So not something I expected going in. You know, Javaris Johnson four for one seventeen. Cedric mm-hmm. Jackson four for forty seven. Tavares Dawson one for eight. Uh, I think, and I think after that, everything else was tight ends and backs. Um, you know, and so not something I expected to happen, but saw a deep rotation, saw I think seven or eight guys come through when it was still with the ones. So um, 
obviously lots of talent there and just whoever wants to step up and, and take those, you know, take the reins of, of a starting wide receiver. I think the opportunity is there. You just have to go make it happen. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. All right. Which defensive player stood out the most to us after the rewatch? And yes, the answer is always Ekuliota. He exceeded expectations. We'll touch on that in just a moment right here on Locked On Auburn. We talk about it all the time with some of these local partners that we have throughout the Locked On Podcast Network's history, specifically here on Locked On Auburn. We love supporting Auburn people and uh, some Auburn folks that that I am dear friends with um, over at the drugstore over on North Dean Road, uh, 464 North Dean Road. Highly encourage you, locally owned, family business, They've been taking care of folks for a long, long time, including my family. So whenever uh, whenever you need a prescription filled, or I highly encourage you if you're kind of getting your prescriptions filled at, at a national chain pharmacy to support Auburn people, support local people here in this community, and uh, give a call to the drugstore or go see them at 464 North Dean Road. That's over in Auburn. They've got a drive through and everything. And they'll remember your name. They'll take good care of you. Check it out. The Drugstore, 464 North Dean Road. Lindsey Crosby, our guest today, looking at some of the defenders that stood out. I mentioned Ecliota just a second ago. He was incredible, scored an 84.6 uh, defensive rating according to Pro Football Focus, but he was on the field a ton. He actually was tied from the most snaps on the team as far as Participation. He and uh, Caden Bridges tied with 57 snaps. But I think this may be an overreaction. You tell me if it is. But all offseason, we talked about how, like, is Derek Hall and Eculiota? Part of me wonders if we should be saying it's Eculiota and Derek Hall. I did notice rather early that Eculiota was hitting that quarterback often. Uh, was he in there a lot? Now, People smarter than me will will talk about, is it because teams are focusing on Derek Hall and giving extra protection that way? You know, that there is something to be said for that. But mm-hmm. I do think this is one of the better pass rushing tandems in the SEC. Has to be. Um, I mean, it absolutely has to be. If not the entire country, Eculiota, two quarterback hurries, attack, a 10-yard tackle for loss, uh, four tackles, like we said, was around the quarterback an absolute ton. And you could tell... Despite only recording one official sack, I pulled up the box score to, uh, on Sunday Sunday evening, and they 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 up they changed it and gave Derek Hall a sack. Mm-hmm. So despite only having one sack, um, Auburn could have easily had I think four or five, and you could tell that Mercer had specifically game planned to get rid of the ball very quickly, right? To try to negate some of the pass rush and not let those defensive ends uh, just kill their quarterback. And so, you know, th- despite that, still racking up five, six quarterback hurries and really just impacting the game. I mean, Leota and Hall, that's that's a defensible argument, not a hot take. Yep. Uh, Derek Hall, six total pressures. Ecu Leota, six total pressures. Colby Wooden, four total pressures. Cam Riley had two. Donovan Kaufman had one. Marcus Bragg had one. And he only played 11 snaps, which is crazy. And then Marcus Harris had a, had a pressure as well. A lot to like about that. There's a lot Before to like Before we get to the Cam Riley thing, can we point out Donovan Kaufman on the blitz, not off the edge, but up the middle? Love it. That was a fantastic wrinkle that we didn't see from him last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looked, he looked pretty good in that, 
in that role. And I think if, if Donovan Kaufman can add some strategic pass rushing into what he does, he's going to be an even more, um, more appreciated player. And even when he makes it to the league, even more um, versatile then. I can't remember a time where Auburn has actually used DBs like that. Like I'm just thinking, you know, nickels that we've had in the past, like even back with like Christian Todd or even before that, when, when it was like, um, Rudy Ford, like we've just ne- with that position, we've never really sent them. And so I hope we see it's fun more of that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, Cam Riley to me at times looked like the best player on the field. And not gonna, I mean, you, you could tell at times it was his first like legit, you know, starting reps, but man, there were, there were stints there where it's just like, oh man, he's not going to catch him. And then his big old self somehow closed the gap. And it's like, you're not supposed to be that big and to be able to move that quick. And I just, he impressed me over and over and over again. Like we knew he was big. I'm not really worried about him clobbering people. Like I think we all expected that. If you're that ginormous of a man, we all assumed that would happen since he won the job. But just some of the angles that he took, I was like, uh, nope, it's, it, it was too sharp of an angle. I was like, nope, he caught him. He caught him. Like, pretty much every time. Like, th- did he have a missed tackle? Um, I, don't, I don't remember a missed tackle on the he, rewatch, but I wasn't looking for that. PFF did not, does not have him tabbed with a missed tackle. With his he, first game starting at linebacker, no missed tackle? Are you kidding me? No, no missed tackle and 15 tackles, nine of them solo. Like, he had more solo tackles than anybody else on the team had solo and assists together. Like, it was, mm. I mean, because Donovan Coppin and Keontae Scott both had five tackles. They were next highest. Cam Riley had 15. And like you said, the speed surprised me. I'm not going to say he's, like, as fast as Owen Papo, but he is faster than I think we gave him credit for. No question. And to do, like you said, to, to do all of that at 230 pounds is very impressive. Another guy who is very big, who impressed me with how well uh, that he moved, Jason Jones. I mean, for for being such a large man in the middle of the line, and his stat line is what you expect from a nose tackle, you know, one total tackle, and it was assist. And he had a giant, a very, very large arm brace that was wrapped on his right arm the entire time. I wonder if that was something, or left arm. I wonder if that was something we don't know about. Yeah, I've been told that he is going to have that all year. It's kind of what the diagnosis is so far. He, um, I think... I always get it mixed up if you hyperextended it or, or, or the other way, but it's the same injury that he had at Oregon, oh. and he's just he's going to be able to play through it. He's just got to wear that brace. So he missed a few days of practice, but apparently it didn't impact him too much. He started, and he was extremely effective. Yeah, just I mean, kind of filling in the middle there. And, I mean, even Jeffrey Imba, who got into the game later when the twos were in, looked very good as well, and so... You mentioned Bragg earlier. A lot of the defensive line, the new pieces on the defensive line, made me feel good about replacing what you lost and how they fit in with the returning guys like a Leota, like a Wooden, like a Hall. And so really impressed with the defensive line, really impressed with the depth, and then really impressed uh, in the defensive backfield, which is your specialty really, but uh, Keontae Scott. I Mm -hmm. thought he flashed a lot both in the return game and on defense as far as um, you know, covering, tackling, all of that. Yeah, there's a few guys on defense that 
you know, I think they need to be a little bit better at tackling. Donovan Kaufman, his miss rate was like 37%, which, I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough position to play. So, like, I'm cool with it. But, like, Wesley Steiner, when he finally got in, and a lot of folks were kind of asking where Wesley Steiner was. He, played, he only played 10 snaps. But his miss rate on tackles was 50%, which isn't great. Um, and then J.D. Rim, his miss rate was like 40%. So, it's early. It's early, and a lot of those guys don't have a whole lot of playing time in those positions. Kaufman, though, I, I, that surprised me a little bit. That's just such a big position. There's just so much you've got to be aware of. So, and so much I space that you're responsible for. So, like, I, I'm willing to look past that. The Kaufman's tackle rate reminds me of when you're in, the, I'm going to bring it back to baseball because I always do. It's like when you're looking at a shortstop and the shortstop has a lot of errors. Well, part of it's because he's actually getting to those balls. If you just can't get to the ball and it goes through the hole, there's no error charged to you because you didn't get there. Yeah. Coffin's around the ball. He's getting to the play. He's just not able to finish and, and make it. Maybe that's something that can be cleaned up a little bit with some technique and some fundamental work uh, versus a guy who wouldn't even be in the play, would have gotten blocked out of it or wouldn't have made it to the hole before somebody else made the play. So maybe there's a better way to look at that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Lindsey Crosby, uh, thank you for your time as always. How can people find you, hear you, watch you, all that stuff? I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show, Locked on MLB Prospects, is available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. You can catch the Auburn writing at auburndaily.com. Monday is the tracking, is tracking the transfers piece. Everybody's excited about this one. And then the merch, aushirts.com. Be sure to check all of that out. You can find my written work at auburndaily.com as well. And hey, we are so close to 6,000 subscribers on YouTube. Please click that subscribe button if you've made it this far into the video. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Locked on Auburn.